It is good to see you here this morning. Uh, I thought there were going to be a lot fewer people today. I know that Canada recalled all of its citizens, but we still have a couple of Canadians. And I received a lot of messages from people saying yesterday that they were just afraid to come in public. And I fully respect that because this virus is dangerous. For those that are older, if you're nine years or younger, there's almost no risk at all. But if you're over 80, very great risk. And so we're going to be praying for one another and we're going to be communicating with each other even if we do not have services here. This morning we do have uh, the, the live streaming and we're testing that out. And we should have better equipment by next week. Today we're going to begin reading by reading from the book of Ephesians chapter 1 verse 11. Is our... Okay, good. We've already read the scripture just a few weeks ago, but today's is going to be an overview of everything that we have covered in the Purpose Driven Life. And I'm going to make an attempt not to repeat myself with everything, but the ideas are the same. Ephesians 1.11 In Him we are also chosen as God's own, having been predestined according to the plan of Him, who works out everything in conformity to the purpose of His will. Even before you were born, God had a plan for your life. He had a plan for me. It says in Jeremiah, God is talking to Jeremiah, He said, While you were still in your mother's womb, I knew you and called you as a prophet. David said almost exactly the same thing. God knew him also before he was born. You can be assured that likewise God knew every one of us and He had a plan for your life. And so, the question in the purpose-driven life is, why am I here? What is my reason for being? And so we're going to look at those five purposes. This is sort of a, a review of everything in the last two months. And we could also say this is the reason that God created us. First of all, we are created to worship Him. Revelation 2.12 says, You, O God, created everything and it is for your pleasure that they exist and were created. Why are you here? You're not here just to find yourself. That's good to find yourself if you're lost. But you're not here for that. You're not here to accumulate things. Not your purpose. You're not here so that anybody will recognize you as a great person for the things that you have done. You are here for God's own pleasure. Now, I don't understand this. We serve the Almighty God, the eternal God, the God of the universe, and yet this God not only created us, but He loves us and He wants to have a relationship with us. And so all of life is an act of worship for Him. And there are two types of worship that we do. One is we worship together as a group. And I will be honest with you, I was a little disheartened as we had to make the difficult decision not to have any more services for at least three weeks. Likely it will be longer. I don't know about you, but I, I get up on Sunday morning and I, I look forward to meeting you. I enjoy hugging you. Won't be able to do that. Uh, Joanne was saying that she's going to miss that. She's going to be on a 
hope deprivation. But you know, we're not going to be gathering together to serve God together. There's something special about worshiping God with His people. Jesus said where two or three are gathered in His name, He's in the midst of them. But in the purpose-driven life, it also mentions worshiping God privately. And all of life should be an act of worship. When you wake up in the morning, you should worship God. When you lay down at night, you should worship God. Throughout the day, you should worship God. I love when I'm driving, especially with the traffic going through Ahihik, to listen to Christian music. And while they're singing, a lot of times I lift my hands and just sing as loud as I can. It's an act of worship. We should worship God whenever He does something good for us. Uh, thank Him. If you're praying about a parking space and God gives it to you, thank Him for that. If you lose your keys four or five times a day like my wife does, thank God that you find your keys. All of life is an act of praise the Lord God Almighty. When you see a sunset, or you look out over the beautiful lake that we have, praise God. It is an act of worship. Everything that we do in life should be an act of worship to the Almighty God. Reading about a guy and some time ago, he was traveling across the country in the United States. And he got to the Black Hills of South Dakota. My in-laws actually lived there, close to Mount Rushmore. But he pulled into a camping ground, and there was nobody there. But then a little bit later, a bunch of cars from some Indians came in. They were actually about to go to a Christian conference. The man woke up the next morning at about 4.30, and he looked out in front of one of the tents. There was an old man. He had his hands together, eyes closed, and he was praying to God. So he called his family to see this, and when they looked out, not only was there the one man, but all the other people were in front of their tents, kneeling down, clasping their hands, praying to the Almighty God. That's the way that it ought to be. Life itself is an act of worshiping God. It says in Romans uh, chapter 12, verse 1, I beseech you therefore, brothers, by the mercies of God, to present your bodies a living sacrifice, holy, pleasing to God. This is your spiritual worship. You don't just worship God at church. All of life is an act of worship before the Almighty God. And even though we may not be meeting very much in the next few weeks, we should not stop worshiping God. Because life is an act of worship. Secondly, you were created for fellowship. Ephesians 5.25, talking to husbands here, it says, Husbands, love your wives just as Christ loved the church and gave Himself for her. Christ loved the church. He died for the church. And it's discouraging to me to sometimes hear people say, well, you know, I love Christ, but I don't care about the church talking about the bride of Christ and the church was created by Christ to do his work we serve God through the church and you know I look through history and see that so many great things have been done by Christians 
Uh, Christians were behind the abolitionist movement. Uh, in fact, I read uh, about one of the Jewish historians, who was an agnostic, by the way, but he said that the abolition movement began and was carried out by Christians who realized that enslaving other people was wrong. Whenever hospitals were starting, you know, back where I come from, almost all the hospitals had either a Baptist name or a Catholic name or a Presbyterian name because they were started by believers, not by the government. Orphanage just was started by Christians. The feeding of people, the sending out of missionaries, all of this has been done by the people of God. We as believers are called upon not to invest in things. We're called by Christ, by His church, to do His work. We are His hands, His feet, His eyes, His ears. We do the work of God. And you remember when Jesus was talking to Peter, and he, Peter said, you are the Christ, the Son of the living God. And Jesus said to him, Peter, you didn't get this by them, but by the Holy Spirit. And he said, upon this rock, the rock of his faith, he was going to build his church, and the very gates of hell were not going to stand against it. But I like the church to that, because Christ loves the church, and we are here to do his work. Even though the church is not always perfect, Christ still died for the church. In the 19th century, they started to build this structure in France. And some people saw it, said it was a monstrosity. They were building this for an exposition. And other people said that it was ugly. And after the exposition was over, there were those that said, tear that thing down. But the architect that built it never lost sight of the vision. He knew that it was something really special. And now, well over a hundred years later, people go to France to see the Eiffel Tower. It is just what the architect imagined it to be. The church is what Christ imagined it to be. We are doing His work. God has entrusted us with the job. And, you know, if, if you're sad, the place to do it, the thing to do it is to go to church. Because in the church, they can give you joy. If you're grieving, come to church. Because they will help you through that grief. If you are sick, and somebody visits you in your home, is probably going to be a Christian. The church is doing Christ's work. If you're caught in the grips of sin, the ones that can help you to realize that you are forgiven... The Christians. Christ works through the church. And so we were created for fellowship with one another. Ken, you're my brother. And everybody here is my brother and my sister in Christ. And we, the church, have been given a great responsibility because we are doing what Christ created us to do. And thirdly, <clears throat> We were created for discipleship. Matthew 4.19, Jesus was talking to His disciples and He said, Come follow Me, Jesus said, 
And I will make you fishers of men. We are called to be disciples and we know that in the Bible the word disciple is used many, many times. The word Christians, not so much. The greatest thing is to be a disciple of Christ. In the first century, a disciple followed the Master. He tried to imitate the Master. He did the work of the Master. And the goal was to become as much like the Master as he could. And you and I as disciples are called upon to be Christ-like. And this requires several things. One is, it requires us to love. Jesus said, by this you know that men will know that you are my disciples, and that is that you love one another. They see us, they ought to see the love of Christ. Uh, Not because we build big buildings, and not because uh, we have education centers. The reason that people recognize that we are believers is because we have a special love one for another. And also, we are to be obedient. Jesus said in uh, John chapter 8, If you hold to my teachings, you are really my disciple. How do you know whether your faith is real or yours is only the make-believe kind? The way that you test it is to see if you are obeying Christ. Jesus said, Why do you call me Lord, Lord, and you do not do the same things that I say? What a great question that is. Why do you call Him Lord if you are not His disciple? And then, it also means following Christ in faith. That's what it means to be a disciple. To walk as He did. To talk as He did. I told a story a few weeks ago, and it's a well-known story about Peter at Caesarea Philippi, where Peter said to Jesus, You are the Christ, the Son of the living God. And then Jesus said, I'm going to Jerusalem to die. And Peter said, Oh no, you're not. And Jesus said, Get behind me, Satan. Peter forgot. First Pope, he forgot that he was to follow Christ. Christ was not to follow him where he wanted to go. And that is our responsibility as well. We are created for discipleship. Number four. We are created for service. And I love this little verse in James 1.1. It says, James, a servant of God and the Lord Jesus Christ. That word servant is sometimes translated a bond servant. He was really a slave. And James could have claimed many things. He could have said, I am the half-brother of Jesus. didn't say that. He could say, I'm the pastor of the church at Jerusalem. He didn't say that. He could have said, I am an apostle. He didn't say that. What he said is, I am a slave of Jesus Christ. Paul said the same thing. He said, Timothy and I are slaves of Christ. And in that day, there were many slaves. In fact, probably half the population of Rome was slavery. And so as Paul wrote the letter to the Romans, probably many of the people that he was writing to were slaves. They understood what it meant to be a slave. They had to give absolute loyalty, absolute obedience. 
absolute dedication to following the Master. The disciples didn't really understand that concept of servitude or slavery. Shortly before Jesus was taken to be crucified, the disciples began arguing about which one was going to be the greatest in the kingdom. They wanted to be able to sit on the right or the left, and the others became jealous because they were saying that. So there was a big fight, and Jesus did something astounding. The Son of God got on his knees with a bowl of water and a towel and started washing the dirty, stinking, dusty feet of the disciples. And he said, you know, I came not to be served, but to serve. And why are we here? We are here to be servants of one another. God gave all of us talents. He gave us spiritual gifts. He gave us skills and experience. And we are to take all of those. And the way that we demonstrate our servitude is by serving one another. I'm going to pick on somebody right now. Uh, I rarely do that, you know. Uh, my neighbor, Lynn. <laughs> By the way, Lynn is the reason I'm here. I, I happened to mention to her that I've been a pastor. The next thing I know, I'm, I'm here. And I had not been looking for that kind of job. So she's responsible. So anyway, this last week, uh, Lynn, who is our parish nurse, and I went visiting she was not concerned with the time. I was concerned, especially after several hours we'd been visiting. and uh, She wasn't even finished. I took her home and she went back again. The thing about Lynn is that he's a servant. If somebody is sick, she goes there. If somebody needs medicine, she tries to provide it. If somebody needs to go to the hospital, she's there. If somebody is in their home and they're suffering, Lynn is there. And that's the way that all of us should be. Because we were created by God as His servants, as His slaves. We serve Him by serving one another. There was a man walking the streets of a large city some time ago. And he had on the front of the sign that said, I am a slave of Christ. And then as he passed, people could see the back and it said, Whose slave are you? The fact is that all of us are slaves to something. To sin. To death. To hell. Or we can become slaves of Christ. Who gives us eternal life and a full and meaningful life right now. We were created to be servants. Not that somebody else should serve us, but that we should serve one another. And then finally, we were created to evangelize. First Peter 13.15 says, Be ready at all times to answer anyone who asks you to explain the hope that is in you. I got out of seminary. I've been in seminary for like five years. But uh, much of my time there, I almost had my doctorate from the seminary, and I really didn't know how to be a personal evangelist. I had an older brother that was a pastor, and he went to training, and he said, let me train you. And I said, that sounds great. So he drove from South Carolina, and he, he told me to memorize some things, which I did. 
And I had been cultivating my next door neighbor. Uh, he and his wife attended church and she was a church member and a Christian, but he was not. And so we went to visit my neighbor and I thought you know, we were just going to chat and talk. Almost as soon as we arrived, my brother jumped in and started asking the guy about eternity and I was thinking, oh my goodness, he's going to drive this guy away. I've been cultivating all this time and he's going to mess everything up. But finally got to the very end and my brother said, Kevin, is there any reason why you would not be willing to receive Christ right now? Kevin said, no, no reason. So they got down on their knees and Kevin invited Christ into his life. I left that church sometime later and went elsewhere, but then I went back playing church as a pastor again and I learned that Kevin had moved to another town. But when I was able to talk to him, he was a Sunday school teacher in the church where he was. Taught me something that I needed to be willing to share my faith wherever and whenever I was. In John 20, 21, Jesus said, As the Father has sent me, so do I send you. He sent us into the world. He said in the, what is called the Great Commission, Matthew 28, 19, and 20, He said, Go into all the world and preach the gospel, teaching them to observe all things whatsoever I have commanded you. You've been given a job to bring other people to Christ. He gives us His presence and His power. You know, I have learned that the Holy Spirit gives opportunities. And when He gives me an opportunity, I need to be willing to share. You may say, well, you know, I can't, I can't go through the four spiritual laws. Now listen, you can do like the Samaritan woman. We studied that in Sunday school today. And after she talked to Jesus, she went into town and she became the first evangelist. And she didn't know the four spiritual laws either. But she said, come and see if this is not the Messiah. Invite somebody to come to church. Or if you have a neighbor or friend that you're concerned about, invite me, I'll go with you and we'll talk to that person together. We were created for evangelism. God gives us the power and His presence. John Patton was a missionary and he went to this village where nobody was a Christian and they... Uh, they were what would be called they were pagans and they had witch doctors and the witch doctors didn't like him being there and so said they said we're going to kill him but we need to have something that he has eaten from and so John said well give me three plums and he took a bite out of each one and gave it to each one of the witch doctors and the next morning he came walking into town smiling And everybody was astounded that he was still alive and they couldn't figure it out. So they asked the witch doctors, what happened? Why is he not dead? And they said, well, he's a sacred man like us and his God is more powerful than ours. Many of them became believers because of the God that he served. And we have power as we tell other people about Christ. Not from within but for the Christ who lives in us. We've been talking for the last two months about the purpose-driven life.
And we're not going to be meeting as a group for a little while. But you know, the Bible tells us that we need to be ready for that day. The day that Christ comes or the day that we go to be with the Lord. None of us has any guarantees. The Bible says it is a fearful thing to fall into the hands of an angry God. We one day will all stand before the Almighty God and give an account. Have we fulfilled the reasons for which He created us? I hope that we have and that we do. Would you bow with me? Gracious and Almighty God, what a privilege to be in Your house on this day. Thank You for calling us together as a people. Thank You for making us a church. And we pray that we might have an impact in our community and around the world. Let all the things that we do be blessed by You and multiply. Forgive us now, O oh God, for our sins. Forgive us for our shortcomings and the ways that we have failed You. Let us not again fall short of Your divine glory. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen.